0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack, and my co-host Stephen Tall. Normally we would start with a nod in the direction of how many Liberal Democrat MPs the party has accumulated since last time, but I've just lost count. (laughs) So, straight over to you Stephen, and I believe you are going to tell me why I was wrong to be really upbeat about the Remain cause last time. I am also slightly scared about handing over to you at this point because you have some detailed notes Mm -hmm. in front of you. It looks like you've got spreadsheets, flip charts, flow charts. You are basically better prepared than Boris Johnson (laughs) is for negotiating Brexit. (laughs) So take it away. Tear me
1: down. You've set such a high bar there. Um, So quick refresher of what my case was from last time, which is that uh, Boris Johnson always realised that. Trying to get a deal through this Parliament, as Theresa May found, is next to impossible, so his plan was to provoke an early election, win it, and then find where he was at, hopefully he'd have a working majority and be able to cut a deal. And so Hole Cummings plan about having a massive reshuffle uh, and um, proroguing in Parliament uh, was all part of that plan just to get to that position of having an excuse to call a people versus Parliament election, get majority and then Boris could do what he wanted with the capital he'd banked. That was my proposition. Now, I admit that in the intervening couple of weeks, there have been...
0: <laughs> one or two incidents.
1: One or two wrinkles in that uh, Plan A from Dominic Cummings, which we I suppose we have to give house room to the fact that it's not gone completely smoothly. Um, so he's suffered a humiliating defeat in Parliament, um, which has forced him to um or maybe forced him to accept a an extension to the 31st of october deadline uh, he's had to sack 21 of his uh, own MPs including two former chancellors and eight former cabinet ministers he's lost Uh, his uh, incredibly energetic and successful... I thought you were meant to be explaining
0: why I was wrong
1: last time, not reinforcing why I was right. Uh, He's (laughs) lost his um, uh, incredibly energetic uh, and successful leader of the Scottish Conservatives, uh, Ruth Davidson. His spending review, which was supposed to be the launch pad for his Mm. manifesto, was completely buried by all the news in Parliament last week. Can I actually just interject seriously on Mm -hmm. the spending review point, because I
0: think this is uh, not quite the smoking gun in terms of evidence. But I think this is a really curious and important point, which, which is the spending review is was basically, if you look at what the Chancellor said, was the Conservatives saying austerity is over, we're going to spend lots more money on all of mm-hmm. these particular public services that are especially salient for yeah. the public. Um, and actually some of the decisions I thought were quite good. It was It was quite welcome to see a decision to spend more money on trying to fight crime involving, for example, spending more money on the legal and justice elements of that as well as simply police on the streets which is the sort of headline catching Mm -hmm. bit yet the spending review was timed on a day where the news was so heavily buried I think it's it must be true to say and I think you know without exaggeration that that is the spending review that got the least amount of publicity of any of the spending reviews since we got into the sort of spending review and budget two shots a year type the, cycle. I actually
1: watched the News at 10 that night just out of curiosity to find out where it ran. Did you get and a story about was, a cat in um, Dartford ahead of the Spending <laughs> Review? Almost. Um, it was uh, 10.21 uh, yeah. in the News at 10. It was, it was yeah. number six in the running yeah. order. And I think
0: that illustrates that clearly something,
1: not everything has been going yeah. to plan for Dominic Cummings. Yeah. So continuing on the um, uh, trajectory of, um, of brilliance from Boris Johnson. Uh, so the Spending Review we just talked about, he's lost two members of his own cabinet, including his brother, uh, Joe who accused uh, uh, Boris of failing to act in the national interest uh, and Amber Rudd meanwhile confirmed all the suspicions that Number 10's plans for an EU negotiation are a bit of a sham and most damaging of all of course uh, his plans of a pre 31st October election uh, have been completely scuppered um, with the vote last night as we record that uh, Parliament is now, pro- now prorogued uh, without any decision to go to an election. So you might say on the face of it that's but I was not right. <laughs> that's not the great success that, um, uh, and of course it isn't. Um, but, but, where I think there is still a point which um, those uh, like you, Mark, and those of our listeners who are immersed in R- Romania land, um, I think there is a, a point that does need to be heard, which is that, yes, he's definitely lost um, the, the battles. Pretty much every single battle of the last couple of weeks has been lost. The long term war, I think, is much more contested. Mm. And if you. Uh, he's still in the position where, when an election comes, and we are all still assuming it will be an election in November, stroke, December. Stroke who knows? February, but stroke. <laughs> indeed, yeah. Uh, you know, what seems like common sense today may not be common sense by tomorrow. But it looks like there will still be an election this year, uh, admittedly later than he wanted. And he will still, almost certainly, if he is around, still be in the position of being the main party leader advocating the hardest possible Brexit and in a position to unite much more of the forces of leave behind the Conservative Party than uh, will be likely to coalesce behind one party for a main. So what I mean by that is Boris Johnson could well end up on 35% of the vote and uh, Labour and the Lib Dems, between them, share 40% Mm. of the vote. How that quite splits, we'll find out. Um, But on that basis, it's quite plausible that he comes back with a working majority of 40 seats, uh, and uh, you know he will have done better than Theresa May and better even than David Cameron. And And then he will still be in the position of working out what deal he can cut, but with a lot more um, capital in the bank than he currently has. I, I sort of agree with that. Except in the in as
0: much as I agree that there is still a major political struggle to be fought, which will be fought out almost certainly through a general election before Christmas, and that both all all different sides have actually got quite reasonable, you know, grounds for thinking, hey, we might win this. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think I would depart slightly from your analysis is I think what the events of the last few weeks have significantly reduced the Conservative odds of success. So they, yep. they're they not out of the game by yep. any means. But if you look at, for example, uh, the question about the timing of the general election, mm-hmm. uh, Boris Johnson could have followed the strategy that you've just set out by calling a general election straight after he became Prime Minister. He could have said, look, I'm Prime Minister, I've not been elected. Hey, Labour, you always are asking for a general election. Let's have one straight mm-hmm. away. And fought that on the basis of I'm the one who can unite the leave forces and get a deal through and make mm-hmm. sure we will leave Brexit. And indeed, he would have then been able to promise about what he is going to do in negotiations in the future, which is a much easier thing, as a sequence of politicians have discovered mm-hmm. when it comes to Brexit, than actually having to also be partly judged on your record. Um, yep. So, you know, if that was the cunning plan, the cunning plan would have been to call Jeremy Corbyn's bluff immediately on becoming Prime Minister in a way where it would be much harder for Labour to say no. And Labour would have probably been less willing to say no for the election, just as we saw with you know, Theresa May previously. So if that was the plan, it's been really badly executed and I think therefore has raised the odds of success. In particular, I think it's raised the odds of success for Remainers in, in, in two different ways. One is by driving more Tory Remainers away from the party mm-hmm. and making it easier for people like, say, the Liberal Democrats to peel off Tory voters in seats like uh, Dominic Raab's constituency, but also by, and this I think was a particular tactical mistake, by putting the real pressure on different Remain and <coughs> sort of Remain sort of pro Leave Labour campaigners, actually, it far from splintering the opposition mm-hmm. to Boris Johnson, it actually drove it together. And in a way, the different opposition parties in Parliament are now cooperating more closely and more regularly yeah. than ever before. Yeah. And that's much a much stronger basis from which to try and have, whether it's some sort of formal deal mm-hmm. negotiations, most likely to excluding Labour. But you can see, you know, imagine Liberal Democrats and Greens and Plaid, for example, repeating some of what uh, we saw in the back in the Radnissian by-election, or indeed informal arrangements, or simply voters voting with their feet mm-hmm. and tactically voting you know it seems to be all of those different factors yeah. which will help unite the remain cause to a sufficient degree to get the best out first past the post electoral system boris johnson has helped that and that's not yeah. guaranteed that it will work it's not guaranteed that, that you know that in that sense we will win but the odds are looking an awful lot better than if we were in a general election in, you know straight into a general election shortly after boris had become yeah. prime minister boris johnson boris johnson <laughs> boris johnson <laughs> boris johnson sorry yeah. Sorry, listeners. Uh, Sorry, Stephen.
1: Sorry, table that I thumped just then. That's all right. Boris Johnson. In the scheme of things, it's a minor transgression, I guess. Um, uh, I'm not, I hear all that, and I think largely you're right, and obviously I'm setting up a, a bit of a, um, a straw man argument by defending mm. Boris. I think the uh, point of it is that there is a danger that all of the... Um, immense kerfuffle of the last mm. couple of weeks blinds us to what will actually be the choice vote, check-facing voters when it comes yeah. to a general election, when they come to cast their votes, it will be either for um, the major parties, Conservatives being definitely against Brexit, as it currently looks like. Of course, it may still be that Boris Johnson brings forward a deal before the 31st of October, um, we will see. Mm. But as it stands, uh, when the choice faces voters, it will be a hard Brexit party. Uh, of the Conservative Party, and then a Remain-Rebel alliance of mm. uh, varying shades of Remain, of Labour and the Lib Dems and Greens. And of course Nigel Farage might disrupt things as well, but it looks like uh, the Conservatives are in a better position to unite Leavers than any one Remain party is in a position to unite behind yeah. its own I, I think
0: the perhaps the best argument for how... The Boris Johnson-Dominic Cummings strategy may turn out well is actually a slight variant on that, which is to do with Labour, which is that, and and weirdly, this could be a strategy which ends up seeing the Tories do well, but also the Liberal Democrats do well, Mm because Labour is caught in being, having some very genuine, very ardent pro-Remain campaigners, but also having a whole group of people, including MPs, in very senior positions in the party who really want Britain to leave the European Union and think Brexit should go ahead. And in a general election which polarises around the issue of Brexit, in a way the hope for both Boris Johnson and Joe Swinson is that that Labour sort of Tony Blair triangulation tribute act that Jeremy Corbyn is trying to run Mm -hmm. at the moment just no longer is sustainable and Labour fractures and that could be to both parties benefits and in a multi-party system where you have an electoral system only designed for two parties, it's almost massively hard to predict. Yes, who will end up coming out on top in that respect. But obviously you could imagine a situation in which there are, say, maybe 100 Liberal Democrat uh, MPs and a Conservative majority. Um, Okay. And I think we would have very (laughs) mixed feelings. But, you know, in that sense, if Labour really do suffer
1: and not able to hold their coalition
0: together in a general election, you can see how... um, And and so there is this weird sort of multi-party dance that's that's going on. I think the more... Subtle argument, which actually I thought you were going to use on me because you touched on it. Are you suggesting I've not been subtle? (laughs) Well, it is the one about positioning because I think what Boris Johnson has done in terms of talking up his willingness to break the law both horrifies some people, but also I think those of us who are horrified by that often underestimate the extent to which it appeals to the people he's mm-hmm. trying to appeal to. Sure. And there's a sort of a certain shade of Donald Trump and other success, yeah. electorally, at least temporarily, electorally successful populist leaders in that, in that often part of their success is by generating controversy where a whole load of people are outraged, but actually their supporters like them all the more as a result. Um, and I think some of... you yeah, know, I suspect that's the thought behind some of the stuff that we've seen in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I think it's, it's two curious things, really, aren't there? There's one that um, you've got Boris, the two Boris Johnsons. You've got this um, liberal metropolitan um, former London mayor mm. who would defend immigration to the hilt, uh, and uh, as mayor of London, at least uh, mm. you know didn't have a huge number of successes and quite a few failures, but certainly was not um, a hate figure mm. uh, in any way, and uh, was was seen mainly as a benign presence, I guess, uh, and got re-elected on that basis. Uh, and then you've got obviously the Boris Johnson who was the face of the um, the bus uh, and has uh, been the face of uh, all the stuff you've been talking about in terms of suggesting that a Conservative Prime Minister might uh, defy the law, uh, which uh, is quite extraordinary. And I guess the other curious thing is you've got the perverse um, conflict built in, baked in, to the uh, Dominic Cummings-Boris Johnson relationship because uh, Dominic Cummings was brought in to be his senior advisor Mm. until the election uh, and until Brexit was delivered on the 31st Mm. of October. So he has come in, in kind of classic Dominic its way, as a let's break things and move Mm. fast figure, which is fine if you're not gonna have to live around um, for the consequences of all the stuff that you've Mm. broken uh, and that then someone else will have to try and pick up and mend. Whereas Boris Johnson now is in the position of thinking beyond the 31st of October, and beyond an election, about, okay, so what does come next? I wonder how much
0: he really is, because one of the things that struck me, having been reading some of his old newspaper columns... Is and there's a very funny, in retrospect, now very funny newspaper column from, from Boris Johnson from a few years back in the Telegraph where he really lays into Damien McBride as this unelected, <laughs> unaccountable, overpowerful advisor. And you you, Shock, you, horror. you almost literally can, t- you know, delete Dominic, Damien McBride, insert Dominic <laughs> Cummings, and think, hey, this applies. Great. Well. Um, but the thing that strikes me is given that after dinner speeches and newspaper columns have been such a big part of. Boris Johnson sort of adult professional life and in those consistency is not a factor really you I mean successful newspaper columnists have a certain degree of consistent outlook on the world but you can argue one policy position one week and then quite happily rock up at your keyboard and argue something very different sure, the next week sure. it, it there's no, there's no accountability knock on, there's no accountability there's no knock-on consequences yeah, there's yeah. no sense in which your different columns have to fit together uh, you know, just like in a way that if you go to hear a very funny after-dinner speaker which boris johnson often has been they can tell you a whole load of jokes which imply a, a particular way of looking at the world and if the next time you hear them they suddenly have switched from being super woke to rather racist well that might be a bit weird but in other respects they can as it were contradict what they, what they joked about last mm-hmm. time, and you don't think, hang on a minute, that joke doesn't quite fit with that joke I heard from you three months ago. That's just not... So sure. I, I do wonder if Boris Johnson is suffering from basically having lived and worked in a world where you don't really have to think ahead, you don't really have to worry about what am I saying at the end of this newspaper column in terms of what that might mm-hmm. mean for what I can write in a newspaper column in three months' time, in a way that you absolutely do if you're a politician giving speeches. And I, I thought think, he's yeah. dying the ditch bit... Was perhaps very illustrative of this. Mm-hmm, yeah. Great rhetoric for a newspaper columnist, who might then write something a bit different yeah. in a years time. Very risky for a politician, yeah. and just very foolish to use a phrase like that when shortly afterwards you're visiting Ireland, well, where indeed, yeah. literally people have. Yeah, and also, ditches. I think,
1: and that was, that, I mean, I think you're right to pick up on that mistake because uh, even within my kind of mm. thesis of uh, this is all part of a cunning. Um, Dominic Cummings' master plan—he's playing nine-dimensional chess. We just don't understand. Kind of thesis. I think uh, it would still have been possible for Boris Johnson to have set up um, an extension mm. and just say, "Look, I didn't want to do it. Mm. Parliament forced me into it," and still go to the electorate on that basis. And people, I think, would have had a fair degree—obviously not remainers, but I think amongst mm. the uh, amongst leavers and some floating mm. voters uh, <coughs> who are still in that position that we talked about last time that I've been in previously of. I don't like it, but there was a referendum. Mm. We have to accept it. I think he would still have, Stephen get a hearing. Norman Lamb, uh, indeed, yeah. Uh, I'm, I've moved on. Norman hasn't, but yeah. Uh, I, I think he would still have got a hearing from that group. In a way that a phrase like "die in a ditch" because it's so resonant uh, mm. and unfortunate in some ways, but is resonant, will live with him and means he now, you know, that will just be the "read my lips, no new taxes" kind of phrase that uh, is hung around his neck It means that. Uh, he has to do something different from that. Whereas if yeah. he had got to the 31st of October and had had to extend, I think he would still have been able to use the lines about, look, I didn't want to do this, Parliament made me, we need to get rid of Parliament uh, in its current format and uh, vote me back and it won't happen again. And that would have been a reasonable kind of position to take.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I guess the risk for the Conservatives is that in a way we have a slight rerun of the exchange rate mechanism debacle in the early 1990s, where Britain crashed out of the ERM. And the big picture story in terms of what voters noticed at the time, or what, you know, you'll find in history books and so on now, is the Conservatives had an economic policy in terms of being in the ERM that their own party was deeply split over. They then crashed out of the ERM, the policy fell apart, and the government was massively blamed for that, mm-hmm. and its opinion poll ratings fell hugely, and so on. And it in a way, it almost produced a generational uh, re-evaluation amongst the voters of the Conservative Party and a reputation for economic competence or not. Um, but at the immediate time when Britain crashed out of the ERM, there were lots of really energetic sort of arguments being made by defenders of the government about how it was really all the fault of the beastly Germans and how mm-hmm. the Bundesbank yeah. had done this yeah. or hadn't done that or had done this. In a way that, if you dive into the sort of the micro of it. Mm-hmm you'd think, ooh, maybe there's a bit of a debate here, maybe it's a bit of Mm -hmm. But if you step away to the bigger picture, it was clear that was just completely ineffectual. And obviously the big risk for Boris Johnson is having said October 31st, do or die, Mm -hmm. go find me a ditch. It doesn't happen on October 31st. Is the public really going to be that interested in the, oh, no, 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 but it wasn't really my fault, it was these other people. Or is it simply going to be, hey, look, repeat of Theresa May. Theresa May promised a date, she didn't deliver, you promised a date, you didn't deliver.
1: Yeah. Well, look, uh, one thing I did say last time was that it would be a huge gamble. Uh, and it Correct, has been, we can and agree on that definitely. We don't know yet whether it will pay off, but it certainly hasn't yet. But we do know, um, so we do know, who knows anything at the moment, but uh, it seems highly likely there will be a general yeah. election in the next uh, two to three months, certainly before Christmas, as you were saying. Um, so, Liberal Democrat Prime Minister, Christmas present. Uh, <laughs> it's all nicely wrapped up for you, isn't it? Um, so it does lead us to the. Uh, question of are the Liberal Democrats ready for that election yes next question okay (laughs) shall I expand Uh, slightly on the yes do you want to expand slightly on Um, that yes Mark
0: so part of that the question for an election is obviously what is the Liberal Democrat policy prospectus for that election and so news just out this week is that at the Liberal Democrat conference in Bournemouth The party will be debating, as in Jo Swinson will be proposing and hoping the party agrees with her, that at the general election, the party's position is to say, let's just move straight to revoking Mm -hmm. Article 50. Um, And we've touched on this a little bit in in some of our previous discussions. And I think it's worth recapping the sort of key couple of issues within that. Mm -hmm. One is particularly given everything, the stuff that Lib Dems have said about first-past-the-post. Is winning an election under first-past-the-post sufficient democratic mandate to undo, in that sense, a sure. referendum? Yep. Question mark. Um, the second though is, does it just have the virtue of simplicity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone who, almost nobody who is in favor of a people's vote referendum is in favor of a people's vote referendum because they really like referendums <laughs> or referenda. Argue in the comments, please. Don't, send, <laughs> you, send your you emails to Stephen. Um, So, if if really you want a vote because there's a particular outcome you want, there's a certain honest simplicity about saying, look, that's just what we're just going to go straight for the outcome that we want. It also means that in the event of there being a government in which Liberal Democrats feature, such as a Liberal Democrat majority government under James Swinson, courtesy of First Past the Post, or possibly a hung parliament, which Liberal Mm -hmm. Democrats have a very major say. Going straight to revoke would also mean the government can then get on and do things like concentrate on the NHS, tackling social inequality, tackling climate change and the like, whilst if we have a government that goes for a people's vote, although I think there's obviously a good democratic argument to be made for that, we should be aware that one of the costs would be the first, what, nine months of government would be completely dominated by the people's vote referendum, and big question mark about what else... Would the government actually, in practice, be able to achieve?
1: Yeah. So, and I saw the news uh, last night on uh, on Twitter whilst I was, um, like all political geeks, glued to BBC Parliament, um, watching uh, the last... Now, true political geeks are glued to my blog, obviously, but... (laughs) Uh, Well, I obviously had skipped over from that. uh, You are multitasking, multi-screens. Indeed, indeed. Um, So I thought uh, three problems. I'm turning to my next spreadsheet now. um, Listeners, Mark can see this. But three problems uh, with the policy and three opportunities, um, (coughs) a couple of which you've already touched on. The first, in terms of the problems, um, is the uh, minor matter of democracy and the fact that there was a referendum and that simply turning that over without another referendum has a legitimacy issue. Um, Second one is, um, has it been tested in Conservative-facing seats? Because it's, uh, you've mentioned Dominic Mm. Raab's um, seat in in Isha, I think it is, as uh, a potential Lib Dem gain, admittedly starting from a long way back, but in very favourable commuter belt Remain land. Uh, Is it the kind of um, policy that lands well there? Dot, 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 question Mm. mark. I don't know. Um, Third um, problem is the one you've also picked up on, that... uh, it does have implications for any majority government under first-past-the-post. So if Boris wins um, the election with 35% of the vote, are we saying that's a mandate for no deal, as it currently stands? Is, you know Are we then saying, well, we can't vote against it because there's a clear mandate there? So having said that, on the opportunity side, um, I think key one for me, um, less important probably for other people, but for me is that it's actually quite a practical and logical mm. policy in that we've seen them Lee Thornberry this week, desperately trying to mm. defend Labour's line, that they would renegotiate with the European Union a deal and then put it to a people's vote, but campaign for Remain, which is, you know, attracts laughter and derision whenever they try and trot and, it out. And, and at heart has
0: the problem, what sort of deal are you going to actually negotiate yeah. if the people you're negotiating with know that
1: you're then going to campaign exactly. against the deal? Exactly. So it's, it's a really quite risible <coughs> position. Uh, but it is kind of the um, the position that uh, any party arguing for a second referendum has to grapple with, because you have to obviously put something up against Remain as an option. Theresa May's deal. So you end, yeah, you either end up with Theresa May's deal, but then you get into an instant legitimacy legitimacy issue, with obviously that not mm. being a popular enough deal to really be able to yeah. say that's a fair fight. So I, I think it it works from that point of view. Um, secondly, uh, tactically, it's um, it's. Uh, Beyond tactics, it's honest. Mm. Um, you know, Actually, probably we will find out at the Lib Dem conference that a majority of members are in favour of straight revoke, and it paints clear yellow water between the Lib Dems and Labour. It is the counterpoint, the mirror image to the Brexit Party's um, no deal at all mm. costs um, kind of policy. Um, and I guess, crucially, I suppose, um, tactically, my final opportunity, which you've again already touched on, is the fact that it gives the party... The opportunity during an election campaign to talk about Brexit but then pivot to issues that actually are more likely to resonate with voters. So uh, and I think one of the compelling messages you can imagine in any kind of remain second referendum campaign is make it stop. Mm. Um, you know look we've just been talking about Brexit non-stop for years now it's costing the country lots both in terms of energy and money let's just stop it pretend it never happened and go back to talking about the economy and public services and getting those fixed. And I think the fact that there is now a line that allows Jo Swinson to be able to say that at every part of the leaders' TV debates and any other time she's on the media, uh, gives her a strong message there. Yeah, on the, how, how does my ledger stack up? Well,
0: I'm impressed that you said you would have three problems and three opportunities and you delivered on oh, thank all you. six thank points. You. I was I, actually I, you doing know. a little tally, to, 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 to ready to make fun of you about how your, your counting didn't add pledges up, can you, be kept. Indeed. Um, I think on the legitimacy point, it's worth bearing in mind that it would be foolish to think that revoking Article 50, therefore, is an end of Europe being an issue in British politics. (laughs) And I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, look, we don't think Britain should leave the EU. The whole way this process has been managed is a complete mess. That's why we're going for a revoke Article 50. But we fully acknowledge that if someone else wins an election in the future on a clear policy about what they're going to do, and that involves leaving the EU, then that will be their sort of legitimate democratic right Mm -hmm. um, to do that. And, And it's worth, in that sense, revoking Article 50 is not killing the issue, it's saying not now. And it it still leaves open for Boris Johnson, for example, who claims there is this wonderful deal he is just about to be able to negotiate to get his act together on a future occasion, come up with a properly worked out plan that would really work, and then put that to the people. A mm-hmm. bit like the way that the SNP, to their credit, did have a fully worked out detailed plan about how independence would work, all the way down to things like what would be on the bank notes and so on. Sure. Um, so revoking is not saying... And that worked out to well leave for them. <laughs> <laughs> True, but... What it did mean was that referendum had a degree of legitimacy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I agree. Where I the agree. argument now is obviously have circumstances changed sufficiently yeah. that you should have another referendum, yeah. or not in Scotland.
1: And I should say, sorry, credit mm. to the SNP for actually having
0: gone down that route. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so revoking does mean you're saying to Leavers, look, get your act together in future. Don't do this where well, we're going to promise 38 different versions of Brexit to different people simultaneously mm-hmm. and therefore yeah. hope that's enough to get through. You actually have to crystallise on... This is, the, this is what you're promising. And that, that could still be put to a vote at some point in the future and, and could win. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, if we leave, that is not uh, leaving options open for the future in, in the same way. So I think there is a degree to which obviously revoking is not a neutral act. But revoking does leave future options more open. When people have got more time to work out what the heck they actually want to do, yeah. do, you, than, do you think these are the lines that
1: Joe Swinson will use in the leaders' debate? It's uh, you know we're just simply leaving the options open for a future Boris Johnson government to come in, and uh, uh, that and may not be <laughs> quite how she frames it, but I, but
0: I think there is a perfectly legitimate point to say, you know we think Britain should remain in the EU, but just as. You know, the previous referendum didn't stop us believing mm-hmm. what we believed and campaigning what we b- campaigned for. Of course, Brexiteers will be absolutely in their right to continue to believe what they believe and to campaign for what they campaign for, what what they believe in. Uh, and, you know, there will be general elections, as long as Boris Johnson isn't Prime Minister, there will continue to be <laughs> general elections, and therefore you know, continued opportunities for people to make that case. And in a sense, therefore, the pressure is on Remainers, not just to revoke Article 50, but then also to deliver other improvements in our public services, in our society, that mean that some of the, the motivation that some Leavers had of sort of voting Leave because they're just really fed up with the overall state of things sure. gets gets dealt with.
1: Okay, so uh, Brexit sorted from a Lib Dem point yep. of view, got a policy. What will be the other manifesto priorities? Not detailed policies, but what will be well, the kind I, of the highlights? I think highlights? It
0: really... Brexit, Brexit and Brexit. I mean, people who are into politics just love (laughs) overcomplicating things and, in particular, how much attention people pay to politics. They just think, oh, you have to have 38 policies. And And there's an extent to which you do need to have lots of policies because there are lots of pressure groups and people with particular interests that want to know what you're busy But in terms of what's the messaging that cuts through, I mean, the the thing I always say, slightly tongue-in-cheek but also seriously, is being known as a single-issue party is not a problem. It's a sign of success.
1: Sure. Uh, f- fair enough, but uh, and it's a point I've seen on your blog, which I was reading last night. Watching, uh, mark, um, yeah, I was reading it last night whilst watching BBC Parliament, uh, along with all the other political geeks. Also, so perfect accompaniment one, to other TV shows. <laughs> one of the points uh, I've seen you uh, make yeah. is. Uh, oh, mate, what have you read? That uh, you're going to dredge up from my past. No, no. <laughs> the uh, I mean, 2017 general election mm. was officially a Brexit election, mm. and yet it wasn't really an election yeah. about Brexit. Uh, and Labour found great success, particularly on social media, around issues that were completely invisible mm. in the campaign, such as um, fox hunting. Mm. Conservative manifesto said that they would bring in uh, a free vote mm. on uh, re- restoring the legality of fox hunting. Labour uh, went big on that on social media. Uh, there was also the issue of schools funding, which mm. uh, a number of the education uh, unions, yep. teaching unions, um, uh, launched very successful campaigns about, and uh, resonated there as well. So. Even though officially a Brexit election, actually there were issues that weren't even discussed in any of the leaders' debates or uh, talked about very Mm. much in the campaign at all, which actually probably moved uh, a significant number of votes. So when you say it's Brexit, 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 Mm. does the party nonetheless have a kind of an approach which recognises that there will be those touchstone issues which are necessary to mobilise some voters for whom Brexit is just a please make it stop – um, and I've tuned out. Kind yeah, of this I think
0: the fox hunting and school funding are quite different in several sure, ways. Sure. They're, they're different in one particular way that's relevant never, to your Never question. combine the two. Yeah.
1: Schools and fox hunting, it's a bad combination. <laughs> um, they should teach fox hunting
0: in schools. <laughs> anyway. um, so one is the thing about fox hunting was not the issue itself but the way it neatly symbolised a broader question about how lots of people perceive the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. So that the Conservative Party being in favour of fox hunting sort of reinforced that image of the Conservative Party being rich, privileged, stuck in the past. And cruel. etc. And, and therefore, I'm sh- I am I think it's very likely in a general election we will have, in a sense, other similar fox hunting issues. So there'll be something somewhere that, say, Boris Johnson says or, or is on page 28 of the Conservative manifesto, which is likewise not the policy issue that's right at the forefront of people's minds but becomes the thing that people notice because it so neatly symbolises a wider question about the party. Just like for Ed Miliband, for years and years, what focus groups knew about him was he was the chap who knifed his brother. Not because people are really into the innards of Labour leadership election politics, but because it symbolised a sense of there's something just not quite right about him.
1: And knifed his brother whilst eating a bacon sandwich uh, in in an awkward way. But
0: all all of that added up to a sense of he's just not quite... Not quite the Prime Minister for me. Um, so I think there will be something like that, most likely. Who knows quite what it will be, though? It may actually be Jacob Rees-Mogg reclining, yeah. reclining on the bench of the House of Commons, looking just how widely that image has spread sure. and all the different memes made out of it. It might be something as simple as that. On the the school funding issue, which is the one about, well, what are the other substantive issues that people might have some interest in? I, There is the Liberal Democrats of Demand Better document, which Mm -hmm. we will put in the show notes. I've recently started putting show notes in, so if you are listening to this on a podcast app, swipe or tap to have a look at the show notes, and you will see links through to other documents. And I'll put in a link to the Demand Better document, which was from last autumn. Obviously, there will be some updates to that, but that Mm -hmm. broadly sets out the Liberal Democrat position, which is a a sort of moderate center-left position if you're gonna use the sort of left-right uh, framing, which obviously lots of the don't like using, <laughs> but I think it's helpful in terms of understanding where the party is at on things like public services, taxes, social inequality, etc. Yeah.
1: Mind you, I mean, centre-left starts to, and centre-right even starts to um, disappear as, as terms, doesn't it, when you've got a Conservative party that's celebrating the end of austerity and turning on the spending taps. It's uh, politics has all gone a bit topsy-turvy like that. But OK, so the manifesto, you know, it has a source document. Demand better might be it Mm. um, with a bit of revision. Uh, And then where are we at in terms of the party actually having candidates ready to fight seats? Too many. I mean,
0: I really foolishly... uh not that long after the 2017 general election, autumn 2017, thought, oh, well, I'll start blogging about, you know, Liberal Democrat candidates as they get Mm -hmm. selected and I'll maintain a list (laughs) that people can use to look up. And oh, oh, how I have been cursing myself in the last few days as I've been overrun (laughs) with selection. So apologies to anyone listening. If you are a recently selected PPC and you're thinking, why the hell? Because Mark censored me and not added to the list. I'm slightly, Mark doesn't like
1: you. That's basically I am slightly it. It just swamped. doesn't
0: like you. Uh, but what that does illustrate is there's been a huge wave of selections sure. okay. uh, going on. I think one thing that is really promising, although we've seen this in the past and it's not turned out right, but fingers crossed you look at the diversity of candidates selected mm-hmm. in winnable seats, particularly in terms of BAME diversity, it feels like there's a very big step forward mm-hmm. the party has taken. Um, also good gender diversity uh, uh, as well and also on other other sort of protected characteristics but I think that, that what appears to be a really big step forward on BAME diversity is the one that especially leaps out at me however there have been optimistic signs in improving the party's diversity in the past and it's then gone horribly wrong when the voters get to vote um, but lots of candidates a good diverse team of candidates and in that sense I think Yes, the party is, is ready.
1: So the Lib Dems have the candidates, they've got the manifesto, they've got the leader. What can go wrong, Mark?
0: Everything.
1: <laughs> well, first past the post
0: okay. is obviously one major thing that can yeah, go yeah. wrong. And the other is it is a huge opportunity, but also a risk, for Joe Swinson to be leader in a general election for the mm-hmm. first time. I think we have seen, since she became leader... Lots of reasons to be optimistic about actually, you know, her leadership ratings are already pretty good compared to Jeremy Corbyn's, for example. Low bar, one might say, but nonetheless, Mm. you know, she's got good leadership I've been really struck by kind of
1: the poise she's shown in the House Mm. of Commons in in quite a high pressure situation, you know, she has been thrust into the limelight. She's had to make quite tough choices very early in her leadership. And when she stands up, there's no trace of nerves. She's got a Mm. sense of presence. Which is quite hard, uh, I imagine, for someone who looks like a youngish woman mm-hmm. in a still male-dominated House of Commons. Yeah, you may have seen the, the, she, the sexist abuse that was, indeed, that yeah, was yeah. So she gets that the thrown at her, other day. but you wouldn't know it to look at her. Yeah. And so I've been really impressed yeah. um, by the, the
0: risk, though, is as we saw when she initially reacted to Jeremy Corbyn's plan mm-hmm. for a vote of no confidence, yeah. a just a slightly subtle error in how you word things comes with very minor consequences yep. when it's you or me talking in a podcast. Can come with very big consequences when you're leader of a party yeah. so yeah. it is it is a bit of a high risk stage obviously you know if you want to lead your party to success it's a gamble that i'm sure she's very much looking forward to being able to take yeah. but it's obviously a, something that could go could go wrong although there are lots of signs to be hopeful about it going right
1: and as she would say herself uh she's got more experience than nick clegg had at the equivalent time when he stormed the leaders debates in 2010 you know being an mp for 14 mm, years, um, a minister for three years. That wasn't the kind of experience that Nick Clegg had to draw on. So, uh, you know, I, I know you weren't saying this, but I think there is sometimes, a, you know, kind of patronising edge of all young women, will she be able to cope? Absolutely, yeah. It's... And uh, I've not seen anything yet that would suggest that that's likely to be the case. But as you say, and you're ever a gaff yeah. away from... <laughs> and
0: male politicians with less experience than, than, than she has rarely get that sort of comment directed at them. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, all set, ready to go.
0: Yeah, this podcast will soon be the podcast of a party of government. I believe that—that <laughs> that correct, or are you are you slightly are you slightly doubting that, Stephen?
1: Um, uh, yeah, yes, uh, no. I, I I wish the Lib Dems every success in that venture. On that improbably
0: upbeat note, from Stephen, <laughs> we will nearly bid you goodbye, but I do finally have to remind you: fifth of October and Saturday, fifth of October in central London near Euston Station. Stephen and I will be recording our show in front of an audience as part of the Podcast Live Politics Festival. Uh, You too can be one of the audience.
1: You can... You may be the one of the audience. You can be the audience if you're really, really lucky.
0: (laughs) If you go to podcastlive.com, you can book your ticket to hear Stephen and myself and a special guest who has worked with Dominic Cummings as we discuss. Is Dominic Cummings a
1: genius?